0: This week on Deep Night, all the badness was cast out of us and into the dark mountain night. night, 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 Oh, friends, hello, it's me. Dale Seaver, your host, your confidant, your spiritual rest stop attendant on this journey through the deep night. Welcome once again to the Hour of Regrets and Revelations, coming to you as we always do from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And tonight, another supermoon rises in an attempt to steal focus from our problems here on Earth. Nice try! <laughs> but all the swooshing of tides and swelling of fluids in our body can't distract us from the troubles down here on terra firma, including my own quest to find the perfect Greek yogurt. It's either too thick or too thin, and no amount of grape nuts seem to help. I've been making what I call my own grape nuts, folks. That's what it's come to. I use dried-up couscous, because have you ever made just enough couscous? Me neither." This week, well, it's another solo episode because time is tight and I have been traveling and I wanted to tell you all about this remarkable week I've had out in the great state of Wyoming. Earlier this month, my wife, Galinda, was all abuzz. She was literally bouncing as she gave healing gusts of wind to our air plants and refreshed the Bermuda sand in our indoor kelp pond. And I had to ask her, "'Hey, Galinda, your aura sure is crackling. What gives?' Uh, She doesn't like when I do amateur aura readings, but I kind of did it to get a rise out of her, you know, to get a response. So she turned and she asked me, "'How would I like to go to Wyoming?' I checked my weather app and put in Wyoming, and I said, well, it's 21 degrees, there's nothing to do, so no thanks. <laughs> what else you got? But then she placed the back of her hand on my cheek, and I could feel all the various metal cuffs clanking together as she raised her arm, and she said softly while giving intense eye contact, not even to spend two days on Lon Rooney's Energy Ranch. Well, before she could even finish saying Energy Ranch, I said, are you kidding me! Lon Rooney! My Tibetan hiking bags are already packed! Now, for those of you not in the know or not on the mailing list for healing events in the Mountain West, Lon Rooney is a legend in the holistic and healing arts communities. He discovered the famous Bath Falls 16-point pink tourmaline crystal while exploring an old mine outside of Centennial on the edge of the Medicine Bow National Forest. That crystal is said to have given relief to six presidents And quite a few locals, including Nancy Trammels, who, upon seeing the enormous rock in Lou's healing chamber, cried out, "'No MSG!' Turns out she was uh, placing an order over the phone uh, for lunch. This was, you know, in the days when you still had to call. Not a lot of online ordering." out there in Wyoming, and she, often when you talk on the phone to order something, you had to scream to be heard over the din of the dining room. Anyway, Lon, good-natured guy that he is, he put a little sign, a little plaque, you know, under the crystal that reads, No MSG, has come to be a kind of mantra for spiritual pilgrims who make the journey. And now, uh, uh, to think I was going to be one of the lucky ones... That would get to mutter, no MSG under my breath. Now, people today, they think it means no message, which is also kind of true, isn't it? One, we don't need additives to our foods, additives to our lives. We're going to spare down if you take that meaning. Or you take no message. No message. What a wonderful way to be, a state to attain. Not unlike a smartphone uh, owned by a person with a few friends. That's what we're aiming for. So yes, I squealed, yes, I will go to Lon Rooney and Laramie. Galinda had intended to wait until our solstice celebration to uh, surprise me with this news, but she just couldn't hold it back. And because we were encouraged to live in the moment by our counselor, we both laughed and screamed, and I put my slippers in a tote and filled up my airline safety pouches full of just enough lotion. There's something about lotion in an unmarked pouch, isn't there? Anyway, I booked a very expensive last-minute trip to Laramie via the mile-high city of Denver, and off I went to Wyoming. <laughs> to Wyoming, I exclaimed as we took off from LaGuardia. First, a few notes on LaGuardia. I love the place. That's no secret. I always try to uh, drop in and do a set outside of the Aubon Pin. "'You know, I love their fresh porridge that they have there "'with a sprinkle of brown sugar just to sweeten things up a little, "'and this time I would have done a pretty long set "'because I, I thought I had plenty of time, "'but in the cold and the dark of early morning and the rain, yes, rain, "'they somehow decided to shut down the access ramps to the terminal, "'forcing us all to abandon our cars and taxes and limousines "'and walk the half-mile or so down the slippery ramp to the check-in terminal.' We were all miserable and slipping and sliding and trying to rummage through our packed luggage for umbrellas, and at a certain point we just looked at each other and laughed, because what can you do when faced with this much calamity? <laughs> Laugh, I guess. I was reminded in that backwards moment where everything seemed to be collapsing that new questions were suddenly coming to light surrounding the shock election of Tugger Fermore to the lead position at our meditation center. Oh, even saying his name, it, it tastes funny in the mouth, like a little piece of radicchio one sometimes gets that's mixed in with an arugula when you order a garden trough at Sally Green Salad Greens. As it turns out, it would appear, most people are saying this, that there was interference in the election. It would seem... The Cal Boltrovsky, the landlord and operator of the adjacent Vlad's Pierogi Parlor, was encouraging some members of our group to vote for Tugger, because Tugger lacks the allegiance that some of us have to the current lease, which, surprise, is held by Mr. Cal G. Boltrovsky, and I gather that he would like to sell the air rights above the building to make up for his lackluster pierogi sales, I once told him to stuff it with uh, better, more common meats, but he has his own ideas about what people want in a hot, oily pocket. Anyway, several days before the election, Cow was sending out pierogi samplers to those he felt he could sway in the outcome uh, in Tugger's favor. Now, when you're shocked by a result, there's a reason. And in this case, something smelled fishy, and I'm not talking about smoked catfish pierogi. Those are awful, by the way. Who mixes cheese and fish? I can't stomach it. Anyway, now I don't know what to do. Some of the members pointed out that our newsletter and email blasts also contained half-truths and deceptions. I knew Tugger never saved anyone from a frozen lake, and there's no way he donates that many yoga shorts to needy yoga practitioners in the Bay Area. I think he may have once sent his used pants in the mail, but that person who told me that quickly disappeared. I've never heard from him again. What's going on? I try to get people's attention about this, but my tweets on the matter seem to circulate among the same small cohort of concerned citizens. Three of us specifically seem active on the platform using the hashtag NotMyTugger. Blue Kenyatta and, surprisingly, David P. have all been generous about retweets. and We have a petition signed, but so far we're 34,997 signatures short of our goal. I'm beginning to worry that my negative position on Tugger is causing an internet backlash on this program. The one thing I care about most of all. Look, wives come and go, but this is my everything. You, my listeners, are everything to me. So it pained me to no end after last week's episode that I came under what is called a cyber attack. Do you know about these? They might not be over. Is it Cal and his cronies? I noticed his teenage son was quick with the laptop. Did Tugger direct it? Is David P. a mole? I'm uncertain. All I know is that I put up the great conversation with Mo Fry Pasek, and within minutes the site was overloaded with requests and then shut down entirely. I was in a Mo Fry panic. I was stranded trying to get a hold of tech support, and then my phone died. It was a very stressful moment. An apologies to anyone who tried to access the site, and then they thought, What? Who's this guy? This is a sham. There's no podcast here. Anyway... I recovered. They uh, apparently want me to spend a lot of money for what is called a firewall. And now, since everything's up for grabs, I'm concerned that it's actually a plot by the Internet company to shake me down. Well, I resist. For now, we'll see how it goes. It was scary. Have you ever been cyber attacked? It's just like a real attack. Only instead of anything real happening, you can't access a web page. Oh, you see why I needed to spend a few days in the company of a giant crystal and Lon Rooney on his energy ranch. So I did. And what a time of it. Folks, Lon is a master, a gentle, gentle master, renowned the world over for his work in pushing it out of you. His ranch is situated deep in the foothills of a snow-covered mountain just outside of Laramie. I rented a beat-up Nissan Sentra from the tiny desk at the tiny airport and drove straight to his ranch for a meet-and-greet and initial workshop entitled, Zero Battery, Time to Recharge. The ranch itself is a sprawling complex with large beams of rough-hewn wood and pleasing green carpet throughout. There are pictures of lawn with various famous healers, people like Duck 2 Pow, Emily Eisen, Onya Balubus, and of course the musical group Manheim Steamroller, whose music is often said to possess powerful healing properties. I've always found it's good for loosening the boughs, but I hear it also is a good blood thinner, so there you have it. The odor of Lon's ranch is that of alder and juniper, with just a faint trace of gin. I gather Lon's fond of it at all times of day." There was a spread of store-bought cheeses and triscuits placed on a folding table near the entrance to the vortex room. Lon told me about how he came to build the place around the energy vortex as he vigorously shook my hand for what seemed like several minutes. Then he excused himself, went to the bathroom, and I know that he washed his hands so Lon might have something of a germ issue. But when he re-emerged, hands still damp and speckles of wet on the front of his Wrangler shirt, He explained hiking up near here on his way to Happy Jack, and he spotted this swirling cloud of energy, and he felt an immense calm. And he's taken that calm and uh, imbued that into into the ancient timber that he knocked down to build the place, very serenely knocking this wood down, using only Japanese joinery and hand tools. There's not a screw in the place. I thought about that for a while. Lon discovered his gift of seeing vortexes early on, spotting similar energy entities as a child, but these were dismissed by his parents, science professors at the University of Wyoming in the geology department. Energy is very popular in the region, yes, with fracking, but also in people. Isn't that what we're doing here anyway, drilling down to our fragile bits and hoping something valuable is pushed out Who knows what we're pumping in there, but we hope rich feelings come to the surface and aid us to get through our daily lives. I guess in that way, I'm all for fracking each other. Whether you do it in the home, in the office, or out of doors, just frack each other all you want with the consent of everyone involved, of course, and use protection because a pair of goggles and some tissues goes a long way. Once nighttime rolled around, Lon loaded me into his Kia Spectra. They've really done well with their new designs, Kia. I still doubt whether they hold their value, but Ron assured me that the money you save on the front end is worth it. Better to spend money on things that matter, like healing workshops, I quickly added, and we chuckled together in the car. The only sound for a while after was that of the air from the heater blowing and fogging up the windows. I watched the supermoon rise distractingly over the mountains. A light snow began to fall. He asked me if I had ever been on a footbridge. I let the words float in my head for a moment. Was this one of Ron's famous personality tests? Was I being challenged, evaluated? I slowly answered with the truth. Yes, of course, Lon. Why do you ask? See, that last part, I snuck in a question, letting him know that I wasn't about to be some uh, part of some mind game. I trusted him, but all day he had asked me questions like this, trying to get the measure of me, and I wanted to be sure to let him know that there were two alpha dogs in this spiritual hunt. It's important to assert dominance in the holistic community. He then threw the car in park, and we got out into the cold, cold air, the heat from our breath making little plumes of steam from our nostrils and mouth as we spoke. That is the Garfield footbridge, longest in the country. I imagine it hates Mondays and spiders, I said. It's earned only a bemused smirk from Lon, obviously not a fan of Jim Davis and his feline creation. I love those Garfield books. I had every one of them. Still, if I want a belly laugh, a good old-fashioned fall on the floor, drop my hot dog mid-bite belly laugh, I reach for one of the Garfield books, either Garfield at large or my favorite, Garfield Ways In. The comedy's sharper, in Garfield Way's Inn. Lon looked to the left past the haphazard Christmas lights that decorated the scrawny trees in this downtown park. Quick, up the stairs! He scrambled up the metal stairs that were just ahead of us. I heard a rumbling and squealing of metal on metal, and could tell that a huge train was coming around the corner at that very second. Lon got to the top before me. I made it just as the engine crossed underneath our feet. It was one of those great cross-country cargo trains, making the trip from a company in the east to eager customers in the west. Ages ago, this would have been a stagecoach, and we would have just said, well, there's the Wells Fargo wagon, then gone on to eat cornbread out of a metal skillet, or hoped against an attack by the Apaches. But now we stood, two men with magnet bracelets around our wrists, and a "'quartz crystal dangling on our neck, "'and Lon said, now is the moment, "'and above the endless train cars, "'but below the giant moon, "'above the metal tracks, "'but below the gathering clouds, "'above a parking lot with a Kia Spectra, "'but below a gently swinging light fixture "'attached to metal girders, "'we dropped our trousers and threw our arms outward, "'and at the top of our lungs shouted "'all the things we wanted to get rid of in the world. "'All the badness was cast out of us "'and into the dark mountain night.' "'as we shrieked, "'Tugger! pierogies, "'Sweaters that pill! "'Rigged elections! "'Splinters! "'Freezer burn on ice cream that you forgot was in there! "'Galinda's penchant for being away or sending me away on retreats! "'Snow puddles! "'Venues double-booking! "'Undershirts that ride up! "'Conflict in Syria! "'Rick Perry! "'This mole on my inner thigh! "'White chocolate!' "'And the train rambled away out of sight. "'With a toot of its mighty horn!' "'Was it also purging itself of its slavish devotion to commerce? "'We'll never know. Trains can't think or feel. "'But boy, did I feel good and cold, "'and I hope no one saw my genitalia retreat up into my body, "'but that's okay if it's just something that gets shared "'between myself, Lon Rooney, and a confused interstate train conductor. "'We pulled our clothing back on and looked at each other, "'smiling, refreshed, free of negative energy. "'It was like I was reborn.' Lon gave me a hearty pat on the back, which dislodged part of a ginger candy that I had stuck in my tooth since the flight, and I coughed a little as it slid to the back of my throat. But then I recovered, and we walked to the end of the footbridge, silently beaming, and then all the way back. And then I started to really understand how long the thing was. (laughs) Also, I started to worry that I'd catch a cold. But uh, back in the warmth of the Kia, things got better. They did. "'Lon found out that I was an entertainer. "'I don't always let that slip right off the bat "'for fear that people will judge me "'or want me to suddenly host a work function "'at a mattress pop-up shop. "'But on this night, Lon looked at me and said, "'You gotta meet Jules and Franny. "'And so I did, that night, meet Jules, "'a bear of a man with a twinkle in his eye "'and a belt buckle in shape of a beer keg, "'and Franny, his longtime girlfriend and barmaid, "'and together they booked the back room "'at the Buckhorn Bar in downtown Laramie.' Well, they had a spot open, and long story short, I had a great set (laughs) that relied on a lot of crowd work and a fair number of, in New York we call it, blank jokes that I always keep in my back pocket in case I get called in to do exactly this sort of thing. We had a great time of it, had way too much microbrew, and then washed it down with a fantastic, if a little, hard eggnog pie, and then retired back to Lon's ranch, where at dawn I was woken with the smell of fresh coffee and hard-boiled eggs. Mmm. And I met Lon in the breakfast nook, just off the meditation room near the sauna. We made small talk, and then Lon let me see the crystal. At last I stared into its many facets, repeating no MSG a hundred or so times, until Lon hit a sacred gong with a ball-peen hammer and let me know that it was time to go. He asked me to wash the spectra before the airport shuttle came and picked me up, so I did. And, gosh, did I learn some lessons doing that. One is that water freezes on the ground pretty quickly? (laughs) And Lon's recent paving made that ground extra slick. I put the sponge in the sponge tank. I guess he raises them naturally or something. And then jogged down to meet Lucinda, the driver of the van that was to take me to the airport for the afternoon flight to Denver and then back to New York. I asked Lucinda who was great company all around, aside from her curious delight in riding the brake and then gas and then brake all the way along. At a certain point... (laughs) I saw that giant cowboy hat that signals that an Arby's is approaching, and needing a little fresh air and a a, a, a pause in the back-and-forth method of her driving, I asked if we could stop for a beef and cheddar. She was very into a radio program that had just come on that seemed to be just someone listing off farm equipment that people were selling, so I ducked into Arby's alone, which is the best way to enjoy an Arby's, if you ask me. I grew up poor, so eating in a fast-food restaurant is emotional for me. It's comforting in a way that few other places are. I know what I'm getting. The chairs are predictably hard. The interactions are kept to a minimum. This was often the kind of place that we went as a family, when we had no money and just needed a hot meal away from home where there were no groceries anyway. So imagine my surprise when the lady behind the counter was so interested in engaging with me. To describe her, she had a layer of red eye makeup way up high, tucked under her brow, right there, then a vast smear of turquoise eyeshadow that blended right up to the black mascara of her upper eyelash. She complimented me on my shirt, and it was a nice one. <laughs> and then she reached across the counter where they have the registers. I've never seen a breach of this space before in such a way, and she touched my arm in case I had forgotten what a shirt was or that I was wearing one. I thanked her, and she asked me about Christmas shopping. I always ask the fellows if they've started, and I ask the ladies if they're done. (laughs) She said, and we laughed a little about that. I told her I was done and that we were celebrating the solstice this year. She asked what that was, and I told her, and I explained part of our impending darkness ritual. And by that point, my curly fries were ready, and it was time to hit the fill-it-yourself soda buffet. She wished me a happy holidays, and I did the same. Then I sat alone in the corner and ate and watched the street life, of which there was none, and listened to Christmas tunes and ads for the Arby's Mint Swirl dessert, and I wished I had left room for one. Staring out the window, I let my mind wander. I started to think about how all fries should be curly fries, and maybe starting a church wouldn't be that hard. All I'd need is a building, and of course I'd always wanted to learn how to do stained glass. And what would the images be? Galinda, Ginny, maybe, Pepsi, the Gowanus for sure, and Tugger, because every church needs a demon from the underworld to rail against. And then Lucinda honked her horn, and I realized it was getting late. I dumped my food waste into the trash bin, stashed my tray on top, and bundled up. Lucinda took me to the airport, and off I went again, into the air, soaring home, refreshed, maybe reaching a point of no MSG. As I drifted in and out of sleep over the low sloping mountains that extend at the base of the Rockies into Denver, I recalled an image I saw outside the Buckhorn right as Lon and I were leaving. A tumbleweed rolled in front of an old storefront, boarded up with the real estate signs, a former nail salon or something, and that tumbleweed was so beautifully lit beneath the recently updated street lights. I saw myself in that tumbleweed, drifting, uncertain, happy. On the connecting flight, I had to use the restroom, as one does, and the key is timing it right after the first drink carts go by so you don't have to face the crowds at the rear uh, where people uh, are are gathered because they realize too late that they (laughs) they waited uh, uh, too long. And as I stood to go into the narrow bathroom, I spied one of the flight attendants, not an especially glamorous one, just a person doing their job like you or me. And she was balancing a little tray on her knees. She was eating her supper, a scattering of iceberg lettuce squares and two flat lasagna. I thought about her sadness in that moment. But this is what it was like now. In 2016, we're all crammed in our spaces, making do, balancing things where we ought not to, eating by a public restroom, eating the barely edible in a flying machine that could plummet at any time. And if an emergency arose, she'd abandon that meal, such as it was. Maybe she'd have to run to the aid of someone needing a pillow, or not understanding how the remote worked, or wanting more ginger ale because they were asleep when the cart went through the first time. I thought about Lucinda, hoping for a decently priced item of farm machinery, nursing a balance bar she keeps in the console between the seats, little crumbs of caramel nut blast sticking to her fingerless gloves. I thought about Lon drinking coffee from a chip mug welcoming people to see a giant rock he found years ago. "'driving older people to a bridge to remove their pants "'and scream negative thoughts at trains. "'I thought of David P. biting into a too-hot pierogi "'and dropping half of it on the floor. "'What price treachery!' "'The woman at Arby's, I didn't catch her name. "'I imagine her slurping a mint-chocolate milkshake through a straw "'and using her long fingers to extract a curly fryer "'from the cold pile of extras that gathers near the fryer. "'Has she pulled one that is coiled in on itself "'so that it actually starts to resemble its original potato form?' She wonders what a solstice is. I wonder if you strip everything into parts, would it eventually reassemble itself? And I think of Galinda, sipping jasmine tea and blowing air on plants, always off on some retreat or encouraging me to go it alone. Why don't we spend more time together? But then we bounce with a thud and a bang onto the runway of LaGuardia. On behalf of our entire New York-based flight crew, we'd like to be the first to welcome you to New York City. There is talk of destination and baggage, and we wait, and we wait, and I walk through a late-night LaGuardia, and I see Hunru and Bryant and Yasmeel locking up the Auntie Ann's, and I wave as they say, Welcome back, and I feel a little less like that midnight tumbleweed. I am known, and I am seen, and I may have some sad meals ahead of me, but there'll also be nice times. I choose to eat alone, sometimes. Folks, that'll do it for our time this week in the deep night. We've had a change of plans on the live shows coming up. The January 11th date has been rescheduled to February 22nd, 8 p.m. at the slipper room, uh we're still going to do that show with uh Michelle Buteau and Vinnie DePonto and Sandy Honig. Uh we'll see if Daniel can still join us. If not, we'll we'll uh, we'll figure out something, <laughs> won't we? So that's uh pushed to February. So uh hold on hold on to your horses if you're waiting for that. If you're headed out to San Francisco though, uh I will be there as planned for the first live show of 2017 at Piano Fight, part of SF Sketchfest. Our fourth trip to that fine festival, that's Saturday, January 21st at 4.30 in the afternoon, when my guests will be Allie Gertz, Irene Tu, Phil Ross, and Lisa Mezacapa. We're talking about a really great time there, folks, and it's free. So I hope you can join us for that. And then it's so early, my gosh, let's just keep the party going. Well, uh, till then, remember that though this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard. Season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening.